All right, we're going to turn to Acts 4. Remember, we're speaking about prayer causes earthquakes and thunderbolts and thunders, whatever frightened the Philistines, terrified them and confused them. We looked at it in 1 Samuel 7. And so we're going to look in Acts 4. And what has happened here is the apostles have been threatened. They've been told, uh, this is after the man was healed at the gate beautiful. And they were threatened by the, the, the authorities. And the result was that they went back to their number. Okay, it says here in verse 23 of Acts 4, it says, after they were permitted to go, the apostles returned to their company or returned uh, uh, to their own people. And that's why it's nice to belong to a group of people. It's, it's, it's a place of security, it's a place of encouragement, and it should be a, a, a place of mutual cooperation in what you're doing. And this certainly was the case, because look what happened next. It says, verse 24, so uh, they, they're reporting back now and telling them what the, elder, the chief priests and elders had said to them. It says, when they heard it, this is the company, their company, When they heard it, they lifted their voices together with one united mind to God and said, Oh, sovereign Lord, does that sound like unity? One united mind. So they they focused, they're in agreement with what they're doing. They're in unity. They're making a a harmony. It's like a harmony, according to uh, Jesus, where he said, With two or three gathered in my name, anything they pray will be done for them. So it says, they lifted their voices together with one mind to God and said, O sovereign Lord, you are he who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And so it it goes on and they pray this prayer. And it's, it's not saying exactly how the prayer was done, but it does say voices. So this is not one or two people praying. It says, they, I believe that's the whole company lifted their voices. Now, if you think about it, Jesus said in John 7, 37, rivers of living water will flow. Well, he said, whosoever believes in me from their innermost being shall flow continuously rivers of living water. And when you get lots of rivers flowing together, uh, flowing into a bigger and a bigger, bigger river, as more rivers flow into it, and the Amazon's an example of that, that river is so powerful that it pushes fresh water and flood, hundreds of miles out to sea. That, I mean, that is awesome. It just displaces anything that's blocking the river, any pools that have got isolated, gone stagnant and stink, you know, people who've wandered off on their own and gone into error or have uh, become hardened of heart or disillusioned. It's like the river, the Amazon River, just picks up all these pools, all the blockages, the wrong mindsets, all the rest, and just shoves it straight out to sea. Tree trunks, you name it, dead cows, animals, whatever. Rotten water, shoop, out to sea it goes. And this is what happens when believers raise their voices together. So it gets to the point where the more believers that are there, the more powerful the torrents that are flowing. And when someone realizes, if I'm not there, I'm going to be missed. It changes the whole paradigm of having what I call David and Goliath type prayer meetings where David goes out to find, fight Goliath and David's praying and praying and he's an expert. He prays everything and uh, for everyone and whatever else and 
the other people are saying, Go, David! Go, David! Yes! Amen! 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 And then when it goes on and on, they get a little less enthusiastic and then they stop coming. That's the pattern that we see, so that, that I've been seeing. So maybe some of that rings true. It says here, they lifted their voices together. But let's have a look. Uh, let's go over the page. I'm not going to read right through it. We've got to verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were assembled was shaken. Does that sound like Paul and Silas's jail? What is it talking about? The place was shaken. The building shook. That's what it's talking about. And what happened in Paul and Silas's jail? The prisoners could not run away. I don't think they wanted to run away. But maybe even if they wanted to, they couldn't. But what does it say here? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with freedom, boldness, and courage. Prayer, fervent prayer, releases the power of God. It releases um, the, 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 the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit, filling and touching people. And then they went out and all sorts of things happened. If you read verse 33 after this, with great strength, ability, and power, the apostles delivered their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And favor and goodwill rested, rested richly upon them all. There's a connection to prayer. Paul, uh, we, we can look in Philippians. If we just go to Philippians. I think it's Philippians 2. I've got it marked, so I'll find it quickly. And just amazing what Paul says in terms of Philippians, before Colossians, of course. Oh, no, Philippians 1 verse 19. This is what Paul says. I'm well assured and indeed know that through your prayers and a bountiful supply of the Spirit of Christ, what's just happened in Acts 4.32? They've prayed, the place was shaken, and it was like, whoosh, they were, they were filled with the Spirit. It was like there was a move of God over them. That's what Paul's saying the same here. So what is it about prayer? That's what I said we're going to look at. Let's, so we see what happens, the, the result of prayer on the earth. Let's see what happens in the heaven. So if we go to Revelation 5, and this is the kicker in terms of how long do you pray. This is a kicker too. Revelation 5, and we're going to look at verse 8 in Revelation 5. Okay, I'm, this Revelation 4 and 5, I think we should read them over and over and over again because it gives us an insight into the throne room. And we're told um, in, in Hebrews 10, uh, 19 onwards, we're told to come boldly to the throne of grace. We're told to come boldly by the new and living way. And so it's nice to know what's going on there if we're going to come boldly. And you can start seeing what you're doing with your mind's eye. All right, so we're looking at verse 8. When he had taken the scroll. Okay, so what's happened here is this, uh, uh, um, uh, there's a description of heaven. And then uh, John sees that there's a scroll that needs to be opened. And he sees there's no one worthy to take it. And then it says uh, um, they found that the Lamb of God stepped forward. Um, I'm just trying to see. Oh, yeah, it's in verse 6. He says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God who have been sent on duty far and wide into all the earth. Isn't that wonderful? The Spirit of God 
and, and, and the manifestations of the Spirit, each of the eyes would be a different manifestation, are sent on duty in all the earth. It says, he then went, verse 7, and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders uh, of the heavenly Sanhedrin prostrated themselves before the Lamb. Now, take note. Each was holding a harp, a lute, or a guitar, and they had golden bowls full of incense, fragrant spices and gums for burning, which are the prayers of God's people, the saints. Your prayers are so precious that there's an angel before the throne of God with a golden censer that is gathering those. It's a precious incense to God. Now look what happens. Okay, they sing a new song. No, we've got to go to Revelation 8 to see what happens. So just move over a couple of pages and we'll read from verse 1. It sort of picks up at exactly the same scene. It says, When the Lamb broke open the seal, I'm dropping sweet papers. When the Lamb broke open the seventh seal, there was silence for about half an hour in heaven. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood over the altar. He had a golden censer, and he was given very much incense, spices and gums, which exhale perfume when burned, that he might mingle it with the prayers of the people, all the people of God, the saints, in brackets it says here, upon the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense and the perfume arose in the presence of God with the prayers of the people of God. Remember what the angel said to, to Daniel when we go, it's, it's Daniel 9 or 10. I haven't read that for a while. Um, but he said, from the moment you, you, you started praying, you set your mind to, he was seeking answers as to what was going to happen to Israel. He says, your prayers were heard and I've come. But he says, but the prince of Persia withstood me for 21 days. We don't have that problem because we're seated in Christ in heavenly places. We're close in. We don't have to worry about our prayers being blocked. So it's an instant thing that the, 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 the prayers delivered. So it says here, so he, he's, let me just pick up the beginning of that verse again. It says, the smoke of the incense, the perfume, arose in the presence of God with the prayers of the people of God from the hand of the angel. So the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and cast it upon the earth. There followed peals of thunder, rumblings, blasts, noises, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So what do you think happened to Paul and Silas's jail? The angel dipped the censer into the fire before the altar, and he threw it down upon the earth, and there was all these things happened. Thunder, loud rumblings, blasts, noises, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And it is my conviction, it doesn't say it in Scripture, but it's my conviction that there was obviously more than just an earthquake in that jail. Why were those people terrified? Why wouldn't they run away? I think that possibly there was peals of thunder and lightnings and blasts and an earthquake. But what happened? If we just look at the things we've seen now, it says in, in 1 Samuel 7, it says, the Lord thundered against the Philistines. Well, that must have been issued from the throne of God, that power. The prayers of the righteous avail much, making tremendous power available. What happened? What happened in that uh, Acts 4.32? It says, what is the fire? The fire. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. They were all filled with the Spirit 
And they went out and witnessed, um, the, the next couple of verses say, this is what happens when we pray. And Mary Ellen sang that song about the incense. Remember, let it rise, night and day, let it arise. So what, what we, as the priests of God, we, uh, and remember we, we saw in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, that we to offer acceptable sacrifices to God. It's the incense of praise. It's, it's worship. That's exactly what Paul and Silas were offering. While they were praying and singing hymns to the Lord and the other prisoners were listening, this was the incense arising. And the result was the release of power. So if, if we want to see that power, we want to see that manifestation of the Holy Spirit, I believe from reading these principles in Scripture, we have to pray. We have to pray. When we get the word of God, when there's a strong prophecy to us, we have to pray like Elijah did. We have to ask God to give people words, as Paul demonstrated. And then when you look at Paul um, in Ephesians like 1, 17 to 19, he says, when I heard of your faith, says, I always pray that God may grant you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that your eyes you know, of your understanding be open, you're flooded with light. He prays for that. For the Galatians, he prays. He talks about Epaphroditus in uh, Colossians 4 verse 16. He says, he is always struggling in prayer for you. There's a dimension here that we need to get into. And possibly the greatest is Hebrews 7.25. It says, Jesus ever lives to intercede. Well, it says he is able to save to the uttermost those who come to him. Because he ever lives there. And uttermost, that means with perfect, with, with, perfectly, with finality, for all time. So in other words, no drifting into the church and then saying, oh, well, drifting out and backsliding. That shouldn't happen. That's just not an option for us. We pray, Christ be formed. Galatians 4.19, I pray, I travail, that Christ be formed. Little children, my little children, for whom I'm again in the pangs of, you know, travail, childbirth. And then I just see this incense arising from us, the people of God. Priests and kings offering acceptable sacrifices, which God is answering with fire, with thunderbolts and lightnings. And what happens when that power falls? Shackles fall off. That happened in, um, to Peter in Acts 12. His shackles fell off. He was chained to two soldiers. He was between two. Shackles fell off. What happened in, in, in the Philippian jail? The shackles fell off everybody. That's what God's given us to do. So we pray. Okay, so now what we're going to talk about now, this session, I've already overlapped 15 minutes. Um, we want to talk about positioning ourselves to pray with God. So let's go to Ephesians 6.18. That would be our, um, our foundation scripture for this session. Okay, and maybe this is going to answer some questions on, on how we pray and what we pray. So let's go. It says, pray. Okay, first of all, what I love is if you look at verse 10, just before we get into verse 18. Paul's writing to the Ephesians. Now he's moving into an, an area of that, that's important. And so he's saying, in conclusion, your conclusion 
is normally sort of a highlight of what, of what you're writing about. He says, in conclusion, be strong in the Lord. Be empowered through your union with him. Draw your strength from him. That strength which his boundless might provides. And if, that, if you're drawing that strength from him, then you're starting to move into that dimension of Ephesians 3.20 where it says he does exceedingly abundantly above what we ask, think, or even imagine according to his mighty power at work in us. The source of the results and the success is the power of God. So how are we going to do that? Paul tells us in Ephesians 6.18, and we're going to just unpack this a little. Now that's what we're going to do this session. It says, pray at all times, on every occasion, in every season, in the spirit, with all manner of prayer and entreaty. And he says, to that end, keep alert. Watch. Remember what we were saying? Pay attention. That's what God's word to the church is right now. Pay attention. Attend to my words. Pay attention. Watch. Pay attention. With strong purpose and perseverance, interceding on behalf of all the saints, God's consecrated people. Now, we cannot know what's going on in everybody's life, what the issues are, what they're facing, etc. What God's plan for them is, what his will is, what he's called them to do, what his workmanship is, where they should be, etc. We can't know that. But guess who does know that? The Spirit. And remember we read in 1 Corinthians 2 that God's given us the Spirit who searches the deep things of God, even the very thoughts of God. The Spirit knows them. And he's given to us to understand and comprehend what is so lavishly and abundantly bestowed on us. So when we start connecting with the Spirit who takes from what is Jesus's, and we can look in John 16, 7 to see what the Spirit does, and John 16, 13, we'll go there now. But just to finish this, pa- this, this passage here, um, he knows what God's will is, and he will pray in perfect harmony according to, and some transla- translations say according to God, and others say according to and in harmony with the will of God. But either way, I don't mind. It's accurate prayer, and we're praying with the Spirit when we pray in the Spirit. Now, when you read here, this word, Spirit, is pneuma. That's the, we get the English word pneumatic. And so it's speaking about the Spirit of God, not our spirits. This is capital that we're looking at. It's a capital S. We're praying in the Holy Spirit, in other words, some translations will say. So how do we do that? Well, that's, that's what we're going to unpack a, a, a little now. So let's just do that because we want to um, learn how to position ourselves. So let's just see. Okay, this is, this is too long-winded for me. Let me just rather speak it. No, but it's good for teaching. It's, it's good as a study resource. So we're going to leave some here. Yeah, I've got a little time. There's much more stuff in there. Um, all right, so how do we... Posi- Let's go to Romans 8.26 to see what the Spirit does. Th- this stuff sort of became real to us. Um, late 80s, uh, we were having prayers in the church, and there were a lot of people in South Africa that knew we needed transition. But things were looking like uh, it could be a bloodbath. 
would the Afrikaners and, and the government people hand over, you know, would the, um, the people that were fighting for freedom accept, you know, without violence? There was a lot of issues. And we were having prayer meetings. And what was happening in the prayer meetings, we were having politi- political debates. You'd have people all nicely couched in prayer, of course. You know, Father, we thank you that, of course, this has got to happen and that's got to happen and that's got to happen. And we're glad, Father, that, that so you're going to exalt and you're going to bring to power this party and that party. And you had in Carter fighting ANC. You had the Afrikaner guys. They wanted to do something. You had the English guys with their ideas. And it was a mess. It was a mess. And so prayer meetings were confusion. And we came to the conclusion. And I remember Jonathan Leach bringing down stacks of people to, um, we had him a couple of times at our meeting. Where is he here now? Is he gone? Where is he? Oh, there he is. Do you remember coming to prayer meetings in VFC? <laughs> I just remember being excited when you were there, Jonathan. And, um, but they were big prayer meetings. We must have had eventually, these meetings grew to maybe three, 400 people. And we were praying like these believers have just, uh, we've seen, looked at uh, in Acts 4 in that upper room. And the rest is, it's miracle after miracle after miracle. There are things going on. And um, the guy from AE, um, what's his name? The guy was leaving it. That's it, Michael Cassidy. He wrote a book about all the things that God did. But it's because it was undergirded by prayer. And I remember there was a, um, a, a big meeting going on at AE, which we were invited to. And we took a team. They, they'd arranged that teams of intercessors would go. And so we're just a small team, about three or four of us. And so there was 24-hour prayer going on uh, before, during, and after this meeting that was taking place at AE. And we were there praying, praying in the Spirit. And I remember, so we were in a slightly different room to where the meeting was taking place. And when our shift, as the, the, the prayer team was finished, um, we went out the doors. And guess who comes right next to us? King Zuelatini. And he looks at us, and he had his... He had bodyguards and his big car was... There. I don't know why he was behind there. But he gave us the biggest smile I've ever seen. And it was like the grace of God had been released in those meetings. It had been released. And there was a goodwill that enabled people. And he was called Goodwill Zuelatini. And um, there was a goodwill and, and, and a way made forward for people to find peace. And where there was issues and problems, God just fixed them. Like, apparently there was a meeting going on in Joburg with Gacha Butelezi, and he left the meeting, he wasn't going to do this, and he wasn't going to do that, and he got on the airplane. Guess what? As they get in the air, the thing develops engine trouble and has to come back. And people had chased after him to try and bring him back to the meeting, to persuade him to come back in. And again, he just recognized, well, this is God. So he went back to the meeting. Things like that were going on the whole time. It's like Moses on the hill while the prayer's been done. Now, I want to see a company from among you praying like that for this ministry so that this ministry can grow, that this ministry can be victorious and successful in what it put its hands to, and this ministry can take ground. 
You know, we're called to be apostolic as people. Um, yeah, and part of that is, is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So let's see what he does. How does he pray? I told you all that because I'm saying we just said there's someone who's smarter than we are. We were using our understanding. I want us to move into the realm of God where all things are possible if you believe and get into that realm of beyond what we ask, think, or even imagine with our natural minds. So here we go. Let's look at verse 26. It says, The Holy Spirit comes to our aid. Okay, I know I've picked up in the middle of um, a flow of Scripture, but it, it still works. So too the Holy Spirit comes to our aid and bears us up in our weakness. For we do not know what prayer to offer, nor how to offer it worthily as we ought. But the Spirit himself goes to meet our supplication and pleads on our behalf. The Spirit pleads on our behalf with unspeakable yearnings and groanings too deep for utterance. And he who searches the hearts of men knows what is in the mind of the Holy Spirit, what his intent is, because the Spirit intercedes and pleads before God on behalf of the saints according to and in harmony with God's will. And we are assured and know that God being a partner in their labor, all things work together and are fitting into a plan for good to and for those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. Now, how many times do we get Romans 8.28 quoted? Oh, all things are working to my good. No, no. If God's a partner in the labor, and the labor is prayer. Just as Paul calls it labor, he says Epaphras is always laboring and striving, you know, uh, in uh, Colossians 4 verse 13. So let's just unpack this. 8.26. The Holy Spirit comes to our aid. That's what this translation says. Other translations will say helps us. So I don't know which, has anyone got the word helps? The Holy Spirit helps us, Romans 8.26. Who's got that? Okay, it says helps. Okay, so wait for this. English helps. It's pretty weak, isn't it? Okay, the Greek word for helps there is sunam tilam bonamai. How's that? That's a mouthful. And, and, and what it means is a mouthful as well. What it means is the Spirit takes hold of together with us against. So what have we got now? We've got this partnership going. He's working with us. What does Paul say? I'm a co-laborer with Christ. So that applies to preaching. That applies to working of miracles and, and, and the works of Jesus. That applies to prayer. He's a co-laborer with us. That's why Paul says, pray in the Spirit. All right, and here he's saying, the Spirit comes to help you. The Spirit comes and takes hold of, together with you, against what you're praying for. So, uh, and it says, why do we need that? It says, he bears us up in our weakness. What, is we, what does it mean? Or he helps us in our infirmities, as the King James says. What does that mean? Our inability to do the job on our own with, our, with human understanding. You need godly wisdom, godly understanding when you are praying for people because you don't know the issues. You don't know what they're facing every day. 
You don't know what God's plan for them is. The Spirit does, because He searches the deep things of God. Now, how does this work? Jesus is in heaven, ever living to intercede. We are in Christ. We're His body, and He's interceding. Now, remember what we said about um, Saul on the road to Damascus? How the Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, when the bright light appeared to him and he fell to the ground, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? And then he answers the question, which we said, uh, why are you persecuting me? No, I'm not persecuting you. It's these ridiculous Christians I'm trying to get a hold of. But Christ doesn't see it like that. He says, this is me. This is my body. This is who I am. And Scripture says, we are one spirit with them if we join ourselves to him. In 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17. So he comes and he helps us. He's pulling us into that dimension of, 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 of God's ability. And so that's why I say, when we, we move into position to do this with the Holy Spirit, he is God. We are praying with God. We have now superseded the realm of understanding and praying the posture of praying to God. Oh God, please do this and please do that. No, we are seated in Christ. It's according to your faith. You're in Christ. You are literally working with the executive of the Godhead. And we're encouraged to do that. Come boldly, come boldly to receive grace and mercy. Is that saying, just we only come for yourself? No, you receive mercy for those that need it. That's what intercessors do. And we present the case, not based on, oh God, I'm standing in the gap with Sansa. No, no, I'm seated in Christ, and Christ is interceding. And because he intercedes, he saves perfectly with finality for all eternity. Because I'm in Christ, and it's Christ who lives in me. Remember Paul says in Galatians 2.20, say the same of yourself. He said, I'm crucified in Christ, yet I live. But not I. It's Christ in me who lives. He says, in the life I live, in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now we're talking about praying in faith, believing. So many people say, we had prayer meetings in the UK, and they are really, they're well-educated, clever people, but they're confident in their own ability. And someone said to me after a prayer meeting, because we prayed some time in the Spirit, and I'll explain how you get there. He said, that was a waste of time. He said, if you're not going to pray properly, then I'm not coming to your prayer meetings anymore. So, and, and the other thing is, they said, this is obviously the South African way to pray because we've heard of other South Africans who do this. They don't read the scriptures. The scriptures say, Paul, pray in the spirit. Ephesians 6:18. we've just read it. Pray in the spirit with all manner of prayer and treaty, interceding, watching and praying. Okay, so... The Spirit, the Spirit takes, let's, uh, we can, well, I'm going to come back to Romans 8.26, but let's go to John 16, where uh, Jesus is talking about the Spirit and what his ministry is. We'll start in verse 7. Just to, to get the full names of uh, what he calls the Spirit from the translation. It says, I am telling you nothing but the truth. When I say it is profitable, it is good, it's advantageous for you that I go away. If I do not go away, the comforter, the counselor, 
the helper advocate, the intercessor. The Spirit's called intercessor, but Jesus is intercessor. But it's one and the same thing. And we are called to intercede. It's all the same thing. We show it all fits together. It says, the strengthener, the standby, he will not come to you into close fellowship with you. But if I go away, I will send him to you to be in close fellowship with you. Isn't that amazing? And we know that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We can read 1 Corinthians 6. Um, it's probably going down to about verse, no, it's after 17, about 19. And we can read 2 Corinthians 6, 16, where it says you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are the temple. Okay, let's go to verse 13. So I just wanted you to see, again, in the Amplified, and I went and I checked in the Greek, and that's true. Those, that is what he does. He's comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, standby. Okay, verse 13. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak his own message, but he will tell you what he hears. What does he hear? He hears what the Father wants. He hears what Jesus is uh, wanting interceded. He, he hears. He will give the message that has been given to him and will announce and declare the things that are to come to you. He will honor and glorify me. He will take off what is mine and will reveal, declare, disclose, transmit it to you. So he's intercessor. Jesus is intercessor. So now how do we get into this uh, environment? So let's have, let's have a look at that now. Um, just before I do that, let's just finish in Romans 8. Because I just want to stretch your understanding. You know, if you read Hebrews 5 verse 7, it says, in the days of his flesh, uh, Jesus... Uh, prayed, he presented his petitions and requests to God with loud crying and tears to him who was able to save him. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Loud crying and tears. That's a bit different, Jesus, to, uh, you know, just, oh, Father, do this, do that. He, he wasn't like that. He was praying heartfelt, gutsy, Powerful prayers. And again, you ask, well, Jesus, you said in John 5, verse 19, you said, I only do what I see the Father doing. Why did you need to pray like that? Because surely you just looked, you saw what God was doing, and you did that. He needed to bring it into this realm. It's the Elijah story. God said there's rain coming, so that's okay. Let's go and uh, have a cup of tea and watch the rain come didn't work like that. All right, so we, let's just look at the second verse a little bit. So it says, the Spirit, okay, He helps us. We don't know what prayer to offer, nor how to offer it worthy. But He does, because He knows God's will. He knows the thoughts of God for each and every individual alive. Every single one. And when we pray, God knows how they think, what will connect to them, what will relate to them, what will make sense to them. So often you'll find that God will uh, use language that's in context with, um, 
what they do and where they are. So, for instance, uh, in Genesis 37.5, Joseph has a dream. What does he dream of? Sheaves. He dreams of the sun and the moon. Why? Because they were agricultural people. They had flocks and they grew things. So when, when, when they were looking at sheaves, they, and, and then he saw sheaves bowing down, he knew that sheaves don't do that. So then, he, oh, look at that. The sheaves are bowing down to my sheep, and the sun and the moon are bowing down. He spent time out under the sun and moon and the stars. He knew they don't do that. So it caught his attention, and obviously his father interpreted it. But then in, in Daniel 2, for instance, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. What's the language to him? Well, kings think about statues, and they think about royal things, and you know, gold and silver. That's what they think about. So this imposing statue, which was awesome, because it terrified Nebuchadnezzar, it made sense to him when, when it was explained, because that's, that's his language. That's what he deals with. And so when we're praying for people, God knows the language that speaks to each person. You see that? Like he can speak to someone who loves dogs through, through a dog. But now if he spoke that message to someone who was bitten by a dog when they were a child, it wouldn't make sense. Not so. So God knows how to speak to us. And I just find that amazing. Really, I do. So, okay, let's just unpack the, um, the rest of this. Then I want to go to how do we position ourselves. So we're finishing at 12. Is that right, Alan? Okay, 12.15, well, 12, we're finishing. More time. We're still in Romans 8.26. Okay, so let's, let's just pick it up again. I'm getting rabbit trailed here. Um, okay, so we, 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 we said he, he takes hold of together with us. He helps us because we don't know what prayer to offer nor how to offer it worthily. He's God, he knows, and he knows how to speak to people. That's really so where we got to. Okay, so it says, um, it says the Spirit, and I don't know if in your Bibles, mine's capital. We talk about the Holy Spirit, it says, which is right, because I've searched this out. I've really wanted to understand this. The Spirit goes to meet our supplication, and so we, we wanting to present prayer supplications. It might be for people we don't even know. It might be for the lost in the community. And remember what I was saying yesterday. We need to pray less for ourselves and more for others. Because we, the reason we pray less for ourselves is because we are able to um, get those prayers uh, in place and get them um, working for us quickly. Because we know, we know how, uh, how God works. We ask in the name of Jesus and we take what he's already given us and we bring that down and that applies to people who are born again or not because who knows maybe tomorrow they will be born again so you god looks at everyone with love so he he knows the end from the beginning they were saved before the foundation of the world and it's really are they going to accept it or not so it says in verse 27 okay so the so the spirit now is is, is pleading on our behalf it says he goes to meet and he pleads on our behalf. Now remember, one of the, the names for the Holy Spirit is advocate. So if you think of an ad, advocate pleading a case, I, I don't see the Spirit of God you know, pleading like, you know, please God, please God. No, no. He's presenting the case based on the blood of Jesus, based on what was done in Calvary, 
based on the fact that righteousness has been imputed to us, that we, uh, uh, as we move into the law of the Spirit, we're freed from the law of sin and death. So there's all, because God is a judge. You know, people think, oh, the judge looked at me and he just forgave me my sin. Well, that's not a good judge. The reason he looks at us and there's no sin is because we were crucified in Christ, died with him, and we were raised to life with him. And that's what Paul says. We got the same new life in us. We paid the penalty, but Christ did for us. But God reckons us as being in him on the cross. Okay, so, so, so the, the, the Spirit's an advocate. So we're talking about presenting the case. He pleads before God, pleading the case, on behalf of the saints, according to and in harmony with God's will. If you go to um, Hebrews 12 verse 22 and you read about uh, Zion and the heavenly Jerusalem, it says, it speaks about, and you've come to the blood of Jesus, which speaks a better message than the blood of Abel, which uh, cried out for vengeance. The blood speaks. It's alive. It, it, it never dies. It's eternal blood. The blood's alive. It's speaking. And these are all things the Spirit knows how it all works together. So if I'm going to court to plead a case, I take a lawyer or better still, take an advocate. Take the highest legal authority and expertise you can. And you don't have to learn how the court works. He just says, okay, you must stand up now and say this. So you stand up and say that. He says, sit down now, keep quiet. Okay, just listen to him. It's okay, we'll get our turn. He's rambling on about you did this, that, and the other thing. It sounds very convincing, but we'll get him, don't worry. Because the Spirit wins every case. It's perfect. He wins every case. He's God. Okay, so he who searches the hearts of men, verse 27, knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes. It says it again. He pleads in verse 26, and it says pleads in 27, before God on behalf of the saints, according to and in harmony with God's will. And I've read other translations that say uh, he pleads before God according to God, because he is God. All right, so, and you see, then it says, verse 28, why do, how do I know he wins every case? Because of verse 28, it says, all things work together and are fitting for good, you know, in the plan for those who love him, and called according to his purpose. He wins every case. Every prayer will be a winner. Right, how do we do that? So you agree, the Spirit pleads before God. He's, he's involved in that intercession. He's called intercessor. Incessor. You've got that. Right, let's just see how this works. I want you to just recall that we said that praise is not worship. There's a difference. They're both the same activity. They directed at God, um, you know, extolling God. But praise is different to worship. Do you agree? All right, we're going to look at the same thing now. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. We, we, we've got, I'm going the wrong way. I've got 14, uh, 30 minutes left. Okay, let's, let's just get this done here. All right, I'm going to read 14, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. I just think the Amplified brings this out brilliantly. Okay, it says here, I wonder if I should read verse 3. Because it's different. Yeah, let me, let's read verse 3 first, then we'll come back to verse 14. Well, verse 2 and verse 4 would be a good, good ones to read. 
it says, okay, we're talking about tongues. Now remember in Mark 16, it speaks about believers. Whosoever, let's read Mark 16. I'll read the full. Uh, I'm trying to build my case here and I'm short-circuiting myself. So I'll just catch my breath and go back to it. It says here, he who believes and trusts and relies on the gospel and him whom it sets forth and is baptized will be saved from the penalty of eternal death. But he who does not believe, trust and rely on the gospel will be condemned. That's it. There's only two types of people in the world, not hundreds of tribes and races. No, two types. Those who believe and those who don't. That's it, as far as we're concerned. And it says in verse 17, These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new languages. What does that mean? Or speak in tongues. What does your translation say? 16.17. Does anyone have the translation that says they will speak in tongues? New languages. Okay. Well, tongues is a language, and we'll, we'll show that from the Greek. It says... They, uh, where am I now? They will pick up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. And this is the bit I love. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will get well. Okay, it's going to be lovely to, to speak about healing, because healing is a spiritual gift, and healing is spiritual. And when you lay hands on the sick, they are healed, but then they need time. And because they're healed, they need time to get well. And everyone says, Oh dear, I've still got symptoms because they're looking for symptoms and uh, they let the healing go. It's stolen away. So anyway, that's a different subject. We are those who lay hands on the sick and we say, you will recover. You will recover in minutes, in hours, or in days. But you will recover. You are healed and because you're healed, you will now recover. Not because... Not, we don't say to people, because your symptoms are gone, because you seem to have recovered, you, you're healed. That's wrong. That's stupid. It's like taking a course of antibiotics, taking the first one, and then saying, oh, it didn't work, throw the rest away. That's what we're doing, uh, because we're allowing the signs, we're allowing the devil to steal that word from us. All right, so we've, we're down in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 14. It says, one who speaks in an unknown tongue, now, the, um, the word there in Greek is glossa. That means a language. And that fits in with what Mark 17 said. So one who speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not to men but to God. No one understands or catches his meaning. In the Holy Spirit, this, this is put holy in brackets, spirit capital. He utters secret truths and hidden things not obvious to the understanding. If you go back to Acts 2, you know, where it speaks about how there was the sound like a mighty rushing wind and it says the whole house was filled with it and then it said, and there appeared tongues of fire that settled down upon the believers and it says, and they spake, it says they all spake in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. So it's a, it's, it's a thing that the Spirit of God is involved in in terms of the utterance. And verse 4 says, he who speaks in a strange tongue edifies and improves himself. Okay, I'll just stop there because it speaks on about prophecy. But you improve yourself when you speak in, in a strange tongue. Now what happens when you raise your hands in, in praise and you say, God, I praise you. You are God. 
Oh Lord, I think about your goodness. I think about the works of your hands. You have saved us. You've delivered us. You've blessed us. What are you doing? You're building yourself up. That's like Psalm 103 where David says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, praise his holy name. And then he says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not his benefits. He starts meditating on the goodness of God. When he starts saying, you've forgiven all my sin. You've healed all my diseases. You've crowned me with love and compassion. You've satisfied my longings with good things. You've renewed my youth like that of an eagle. And so on. Hey, you get excited. And then you just want to go from that. The more you get stirred up in in the praise, the more you start moving into maybe high praises, but you start moving into that place of worship where... Just the intimacy of God is coming on you. Now, exactly the same thing happens. This is exactly the same thing. Praying in tongues is not the same as praying in the Spirit. It's just like praise is not worship. They're different words. Remember I said to you when Paul said pray in the Spirit, that's the word pneuma. And if you look, uh, let's look in Jude 20, because I want you to understand this process, and I use it when I'm worshiping. I use it in praise. Because often, you can get to a place in praise where the music's taking you so far, and you know you can go higher or go deeper, however you want to term it, but you don't have the words to take you there, to sustain it. And you know, gee, if, if we, maybe if we sing it again or... It's, it's a difficult thing. You get a skilled worship leader, they know. They can choose the, the, the song with the right words because it's words, spirit and truth we to worship in. Spirit and truth we to praise in. We're not singing whiny songs. Oh God, you know, I'm weak and, you know, I'm, I'm just so glad when I'm weak and down and when things surround me, you come and you lift me. And, oh God, you know, things are miserable at the moment, but praise you that you hear. I mean, that is, that is mindless stuff. That's not helping. We want to stir our spirits. We want to be, you know, it says, greater is he. If, if you go to 1 John 4 verse 4, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. I want to bring that out. I want the glorious one. The, I, I want the light of God. I want the power of God to manifest. I want to sweep away all this rubbish. I want to feast at the table. Forget about the enemies. And then you can delight in the table. You say, oh God, look, strength, joy, peace, victory. Wow! Isn't that nice? Get excited, you see. Now we do the same. When we pray in the Spirit, I, I sort of, I don't, I pray vigorously and I stir myself. And so it says here in, in, in verse 4, it says, He who speaks in a strange tongue edifies and improves himself. I mean, it's funny language, but what it means is you're building yourself up. If we go over to Jude 20, Jude chapter 20. So Jude's hiding right around Revelation. There he is. Okay, this is what he says. You, beloved, build yourselves up. Same terminology. This is Jude. This is not Paul. It's a different guy. Build yourselves up, founded on your most holy faith. Then he says, make progress. Rise like an edifice. What are you doing? You're building yourself up. Wow, God, this is good. Yes, Lord, and I'm more than a conqueror in you. Lord, the greater ones in me. Father, thank you that rivers of life flow from my innermost being. 
Your word is in my lips. It's the same as you speaking. When I speak your word, you watch over it. It performs. It comes back having achieved what it's sent to do. He says, build yourselves up. Rise like an edifice. Higher and higher. Praying in the pneuma. Holy Spirit. How's that? So when you, when you praise, we're not going to be the same on Sunday. I'm, I'm, I, I, for a minute the other day, I thought I wasn't going to be here on Sunday, and I was really upset. I thought, I'm going to miss out, because something is going to shift in this place. Your praises and your worship is going to release incense to heaven on Sunday. It doesn't have to be on Sunday, but I know it will happen on Sunday. You could go home and do it now. Just be aware the incense is arising. And this place is going to be shaken. So we're back in 1 Corinthians 14 now. So we've got to build ourselves up. And I use tongues. Because tongues is utterance that's given by the Holy Spirit. And I pray in tongues. And, you know, if you think of water and the, the Spirit, we call, it's, it talks about the washing, of, you know, the washing of the water by the Word. The Spirit is, Jesus uses the example, he's like a rushing stream, water. Um, And you think of water. Water can be a place of recreation. If you go to a nice still place, you can be refreshed. It's a place of cleansing. You wash yourself in water. But when water's rushing, rushing streams, it can go through turbines. It can spin turbines. It's got power. And turbines generate electricity, power. And this is what we're looking at here. We're looking for the, for, for the water to rush through us. Those rivers that are coming out must come as a rushing stream, not as a, a gentle stream. This times God's very gentle and peaceful, and I love that, where you just want to lean against him and just be with him. But there's a time where it's, it's time for power to be generated. So when I pray in tongues, like it says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies and improves himself, I work at it. It's like exercise. I mean, God shows us everything in, uh, in nature. Like people don't come to this world unless they get born. Not so. Nothing. You don't have dogs in this world unless they're born. So everything's got to be born. So there's a lesson for us. We've got to pray and travail the people are born. But we also see in nature... The things of God, the, the water, the growth, the stillness, the rush. And the example is exercise. If you uh, decide to go for walks, you can't stop and smell the flowers and then stop and chat to your friend and then walk a little bit further and then think about something else and sit down. No, if you want a power walk, you go for a power walk and you pump your arms Move your muscles and you wait till you get your second wind. And in a way, what happens is when we pray in the Spirit, uh, we'll pray in tongues first, the Spirit starts moving alongside. Remember what we said? He takes hold of together with us. Now, we might not be focused yet in what we're praying for. Or you can say, Lord, I'm praying for, like Bob was saying, he's praying for his family. I'm praying for my family. Would you take hold of that with me? Because I've been praying in Lord I just want to see results. I want to see change. I want the rushing water of God, the rushing Amazon River, to smash every blockage out the way. And so you pray in the Spirit. You ask. You can either 
initiate asking him to pray with you. Or you can say, Lord, here I am. It says in Romans 12, present yourself a living sacrifice. I just want to pray anything you want to pray. I want to pray for the communities. I want to pray for the work you're doing. You know what needs to be, what's a log jam now that needs to be unjammed so that the river can flow and progress can carry on in the ministry or in my life or my children's lives or whoever you've uh, you've chosen. Um, When you choose and who he chooses when you let him choose. Do it both ways. Okay, so let's go to 1 Corinthians 14, 14 now. We, we stir ourselves. It's like praise and worship. It's an act of your will to praise. And it's an act of your will to press into God to go into worship. It's not by chance. You don't walk along the road and suddenly... It can happen if you're very stirred in God. So I must be careful how I put it. But let's say you've been totally distracted and you, in something else you're feeling a bit dry and maybe you, you, you're thinking you're dissociated from God. You never are because he'll never leave or forsake you. But that's when you set your mind on him. That's Colossians uh, 3 verse 2. It says set your minds on the things that are above. Okay, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit, by the Holy Spirit within me, prays, but my mind is unproductive. Now, what I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting us to go beyond what we can think in our mind. So that's not a bad thing. When it it comes to the things of God, I've seen that in dreams, he bypasses our minds. That's why we have some weird dreams. It's because he's trying to get our attention and to get past our patterns of thinking. We have different ways of filing things and and, uh, filtering things in our minds. So we filter the word of God often based on our experience, based on our knowledge of the word of God, and based on the results that we're getting from the word of God. We filter it. And that's why God just sends a dream and it blows your fuses and paradigms and it's, it's weird. You might be flying, you might be running around naked. All sorts of things happen. And, you know, that's not a literal thing. It, it's symbolic. He could be saying, son, daughter, you need to put on Christ. You're going out, ill-prepared. You know, Paul tells you in Ephesians 6 about the armor of God. You're going out, ill-prepared. You, you, you're defenseless, you're naked. Put on Christ, and like I said, get in that bag and get sealed and be aware of that. So dreams bypass our thinking and go, it's spirit-to-spirit communication, and it's a dream from God. And there's many, many of those. You just look at um, Joseph, the, the husband of Mary. You know, when Mary was pregnant, Joseph thought, oh, this is a scandal. So he, in a dream, he's told, he was going to divorce her. He thought, I'll just marry her just to sort of make it semi-okay, and then I'll divorce her quickly. But the angel said, no, 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 you can't do that. You marry her. This is of God. And then the angel comes in a dream. Joseph, they want to kill your son. Go to Egypt. And then when he's in Egypt, the angel comes in a dream. Go back to where you came from. See, so I'm talking about dreams like that, that are of God. Paul sees a dream, and he sees... Some guys say, um, come down here, you know, we need help. So it happens like that. So that bypasses 
your understanding. And the other thing it does is the language of the Spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, it's just said there, my mind is unproductive. I cannot filter what he's praying. So I'm praying the full potential of God. So what do I do? Look, let's look in the next verse. I'll read verse 14 again because it's good. If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit, by the Holy Spirit within me prays, prays, but my mind is unproductive. It bears no fruit and helps nobody. Now you do know that you are spirit, soul, and body. Is, is, is there understanding of that here? You think of 1 Thessalonians 5.23 where Paul prays for them that God preserves them blameless. Spirit, soul, and body. And Jesus speaks about in, uh, it's Matthew 16, I think. Matthew 16 where he speaks about the higher life and the lower life. And the, the lower life is what they call, the, the, the Greek spirit is pneuma. Soul is psyche. We get the, the word psychology. So psychology is dealing with the, uh, the emotions, the will, and the intellect. That's all. It's got nothing to do with the, the spirit. So it can't really help a, a person who's, we are spirit. And, of course, you have a body, a body which will obey um, what you tell it to do. You say you put to death those things lurking in your body, and we have the power to do that. So spirit, so the, the psych part, the soulish area, is our emotions, our will, our intellect. And so that's how we pray most of the time. But Paul's, this is what Paul says. Look, look here, we've read verse 14. Look at verse 15. What am I to do? He says, because if I pray in the spirit, my mind is unproductive. He says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me, but I will pray intelligently with my mind and understanding. I will sing with my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me, but I will sing intelligently with my mind and understanding also. What order does he put it in? Not the way we do it. We're the upside-down church in that regard. Why is that? Because if you look in verse 13, it says the person who speaks in an unknown tongue should pray for the power to interpret and to explain what he says. So what I do is, if, if um, Ephesians 1, 17 to 19 is speaking about Paul praying for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your understanding, either some translations say opened, others say are flooded with light. What is it that brings light? The word of God. The entrance of the word brings light. So now the, the word comes, there's the written word, but we want the, 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 the rhema word, the word of the spirit and life. So he speaks, and then what we do is we pray for interpretation. I look, I always look to see what he's doing, and he either gives me visions of what I'm praying about, then I pray what I see, and what I receive is revelation. I pray that in the understanding. Staying in harmony. And then when I finish praying that, I go back to praying in the Spirit and I look to see. So there's this continual interaction uh, going on. Now, how do I get to that place where I'm praying with the Spirit? I start in tongues. I pray. I start getting my second wind. It's, it's like the high praises. It's just like getting easier. It, it's like 
God is energizing me, because that's what he does. He energizes you. Yeah, bah, bah, bah. it might get louder or it might get more intense. I might feel a pressure. I, I, I feel physical things. Like Paul feels birth pangs. And then, yeah, bah, 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 bah. and then I go into a place where it's even hard to speak. I might go, I go faster and faster. And then you get to that place where you're just going, oh, yeah, see, oh, yeah, yeah. That's Romans 8, 26, 27, where you are literally not praying from your head. You're praying straight from your belly. You're just pouring it out. And he says he speaks with unspeakable yearnings and groanings, too deep for utterance. Now, this is uncomfortable for a lot of people. I was in Wales. Um, It was probably just after mid-year, last year. We were in the place where the Welsh revival revival started 100 years previous. It was virtually the day we were there, and they were having a gathering. They were celebrating the revival of 100 years ago. And I'm saying, what about now? 100 years is gone. Anyway, we said to them, we've come, we took a team there to pray, and so the rest of them joined us, which we weren't that wild about because, like I said, when you get lost in the labor ward, it's a scary place. And it sure scared, it literally scared them. But what, what happened? So we told them all the theory, told them about praying God's perfect will, praying with God, sharing much the same information I'm sharing. Oh, they're so excited. I said, come on, let's do it, let's do it. And then I said, right, follow me. And I just saw them, they went quieter and quieter, the eyes got bigger and bigger, and it didn't work. But I had less time than I've had with you. But the truth is, the labor ward is scary. You don't want children there. You don't take them there. And it can be a shock to believers either because we are going into realms of the spirit that are out of our comfort zones many times. I can remember when this first happened to me, and it's many years ago, I I was baptized in the spirit and I started praying in tongues. I loved it. I loved listening to the language. And I try a bit of Chinese and I go, yeah, 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 yeah. try and talk like that. Then I say, now I'm going to try this, you know, try and sort of shape it like that. And God just delighted in me, delighting in what he'd given. Anyway, I went on and on and I just couldn't stop. And next minute it started getting more and more intense and it was rushing out of me. And eventually I was, I was like shouting and I was, I was uh, lying on the ground. I was pounding the floor. and There was just this sort of power surging through me. And then I I, I just stopped and I said, what is this? Am I going hysterical? Because I don't do that. I sort of try and stay calm most of of my life. But when it comes to prayer, I'll give it everything I got. got. And God said to me, he said, son, will you be a fool for me? I said, oh, yes, Lord, of course. Because he says God uses the foolish things in this world to confound the wisdom of the wise. I said, I'll go for it. And that was just like, I just was praying and I was groaning and praying in the spirit. And I found out afterwards that there were lots of people that were doing that. And it was just something that happened. There was a revelation of it. And it seems to have been less obvious. And certainly in the UK, we don't see it. They talk about, you know, The men in the past who all groaned in the spirit and they prayed, thinking that what happened is this was a 
gift of God that came upon them. And I'm saying, no, this is something we stir ourselves into. We start praying. We pray fast. We let the turbines spin. We let the power generate. We rise higher and higher, praying in the Spirit, being built up. And at the same time, your faith is just increasing because our faith that we have is the faith of God. That's what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, the life I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Where does faith come from? It comes from the Word. Whose Word? Not my Word. Not your Word. God's Word. So that's a gift of God that's coming from God, the faith that we have. And we get built up in our most holy faith, praying in the Spirit. It's just a stunning, stunning gift that God's given us, underused. We've seen it in worship. Let's see it now and pray in prayer. That same entering into the dimension. And again, as I say, you just go through the stages, just like you do in, in, in praise. You move into high praises, and then you start moving into the realm of worship. With this, the Spirit gets hold of us, because it says here, if I pray in an unknown tongue, okay, now this is still us in our tongues, it's like worship. We, we, we train our, our will, our, our, our desire to express worship, uh, express praise to God. And then the Spirit, He starts doing things in us. He starts changing the atmosphere. He starts moving in us. And we can move into that place where, we, where God is so close and so real, we can weep. It's amazing. But you say, how did you get there? You don't just get there from A to Z in one step. You've got to go through the steps. And that's why often, sometimes it's easy for the worship leaders because the people are stirred, which they should be. If you read Ephesians 5, 18, it says, you know, be, be and filled with the Holy Spirit, singing out you know, to, to one another and yourself with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It even says chants, believe it or not, if you look in the original language. Chanting is of God. That's the translation of the word there, where it says spiritual songs that's been translated, but you look at the original word, one of the meanings is chanting. So you chant out, God is good, God is good, God is good. You are good, Father, God is good. We can do that. We don't do that. It's like a battering ram, just smashing all doubt and unbelief out the way. Look what Paul says. Reading on, okay, so he says, I will sing with my spirit, by the spirit within me, I will sing intelligently. And what he says in uh, verse 16 onwards, he says, Otherwise, if you bless and render thanks with your spirit, thoroughly aroused by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what worship is? We're thoroughly aroused. How can anyone in the position of an outsider or he who has no gift with interpreting, say amen to your thanksgiving. So it's talking about us offering thanksgiving. But that's why you sing in the Spirit, you sing in the understanding, and you're looking to harmonize with what the Spirit's giving you. And that way, everybody's included. There's, for those people who are not initiated or not um, um, flowing in, 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 in the Spirit in terms of, tongues and singing in the spirit they included 
So we are interpreting what we're doing the whole time, but going in and out, going in the Spirit, praying the Spirit, praying the understanding, praying the Spirit, praying the understanding. And you build and build and build, and then like Elijah, eventually, it's done. There's a cloud the size of a man's fist. Because all things work to the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. God being a partner in their work. Okay, so now this off, we've got another session later. And while we've talked about these things, so we will get to a place where I want us to use the gift of the Spirit. We will sing in the Spirit. We will sing in the understanding. So Mary Ellen's going to have to try and interpret what we're saying. <laughs> but no. It, it, uh, so, so we will sing in the Spirit. And then whatever words God gives you to sing, you sing them over us and we sing them. And then we will sing in the Spirit. And what we're looking to do is let that incense because God desires worship in Spirit and truth. And that word truth can be interpreted reality. What do you believe? What you believe is your reality. I had Alan Blackman look it up on the, on, 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 on the internet. You looked on the... Um, in the, the Cambridge or one of the dictionaries, didn't you? What you believe is reality to you. Or you believe something exists. I think that's what the word was. And I said, well, if something exists, it's a reality. So I developed it a bit. Okay, so we're up for that after lunch.